We good? Testing. You want to turn on? There we go. Awesome. Thank you, Tara. Little did she know what she was going to get into when she became a pastor's wife, right? <laughs> Running sound and audio and wedding planner and all that stuff. Well, welcome out this morning. Uh, church, we have several guests in the audience, and I just want to extend a warm welcome to you. Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. We're so grateful to have you. have many of my family here for, uh, for my oldest daughter's wedding that we had last night, and it was a late one, so we all have toothpicks in our eyes. Keep, but um, uh, I prayed this morning to ask the Lord for an extra measure of uh, you know, volume in my voice to kind of keep you guys awake. But if I, if I see you with your eyes closed in the chair, I know you're praying for me this morning, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Amen. All right, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 3 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to, to the Gospel of Mark. There should be a Bible underneath your seat in front of you. Or you should be able to find that uh, as long as the technology works, which is a 50-50 shot. Um, we should be able to follow along with me on the screen behind me. The title of my message this morning is The Family of God. And you think with my family being, oh, children, you're dismissed to go downstairs to Sunday school. I apologize. They're just like, wait a minute, Pastor, this isn't the deal. We don't have to listen to you. We get to go to a Sister Roberta. Yeah, amen. (laughs) Uh, uh, We're in the Gospel of Mark chapter 3, and and you would think that I I specifically picked out this passage of Scripture because my family's in town or something. I I came to Tara earlier on in the week, I'm like, you're never going to guess what the passage of Scripture is. It's about about family and the family of God and those things. And and so I just want you to know, I I preach uh, expositionally. I start at the beginning of a book, and I work my way through verse by verse, and this just happens, the church can attest to this, that this is the passage of Scripture, Ron. So I don't want anybody to think that I, that I just picked this topic out of the air. This is where we're at. This is where I left off last time I preached. And uh, it's a great topic. It's a deep topic. Um, there's many things that I had to set aside this week that I, I won't be able to share with you for the sake of time. But I pray that this might be an opportunity for us to be, if you have encountered Jesus in a saving way, if you know what it means to be uh, added to the family or adopted into the family of God, that this might be a reminder of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. And if it's uh, you're here this morning and you've never had that encounter, that saving encounter with Jesus, that, that this might be an opportunity for you to, to uh, engage God's word. And put God, your creator, to the test as far as his promises and his proclamations that are found here. Um, what I'm not going to do this morning is pressure you and try to emotionally appeal you to you to do something that you don't want to do. Uh, what my desire to do is to, to demonstrate to you the good news of Jesus Christ that's found in Scripture. And I allow the Spirit of God and for you to interact with that, with this text and the Holy Spirit personally. Salvation and a relationship with God is not found in joining this uh, church that has the, the sign out there. Salvation and a relationship with God is found in you encountering Jesus in a saving way and understanding your need to embrace him and his, uh, his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection on your account. That is the good news. That is salvation. And so that is what we're going to be talking about. The family of God is the, 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 the title of my sermon. It's found in the Gospel of Mark. And let's go ahead and read the passages that we're going to cover this morning. Verses 31 through 35. The word of the Lord says this. His mother and his brothers came 
And standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Verse 34, looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Verse 35, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace and mercy. So thankful to be able to meet together, Lord, to enjoy this beautiful day that you've given us. You've created uh, the, the, the sun, the, the, the green grass that's outside, the, the air that we breathe is all uh, a testimony of your uh, miraculous and, and wonderful power and grace and love extended towards mankind. And we're grateful to be able to meet here this morning in freedom and be, to be able to worship you. Uh, Father, we are able to worship you through music this morning and um, sing back to you the wonderful praises of, and um, testimony of your grace that you've given to us in Jesus. And we're grateful for those opportunities, God. And now we come to you to worship you in, um, in truth by proclaiming your word. And my, my prayer this morning, Father, is that you would allow me and fill me with the spirit that I would, I would preach your truth and nothing else. That you, through the power of your spirit, would, would speak words of life into the words that I say because it is you working through me. Help me to die to myself and my desires. That you would be glorified in this service this morning. I pray that your spirit would work in the hearts of all who hear. That you would minister to them. That you would meet their needs that only you know. I ask, God, that you would work for your glory and for our good, and I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so I just want to go through the the passages one by one to just kind of break down what we're seeing here. Jesus is uh, uh, in his ministry in Capernaum. We've gone, uh, starting in Mark chapter 1, Jesus shows up and begins his his ministry uh, through uh, the uh, John the Baptist in, in Mark chapter one, um, who is the forerunner, the promised Messiah or forerunner that would come before the Messiah would arrive in the Old Testament. There was a prophecy that someone with, uh, uh, with the spirit of Elijah would come and, and pre- prepare the way of the Lord. We see John the Baptist as that person crying out to the people and asking them for repentance and baptism of sin. All around Jerusalem, uh, people from all around the Jerusalem and the Jordan River area were coming out and, and uh, just a big, huge movement of God. Jesus shows up on the scene and he becomes baptized. He's baptized by John and we see this miraculous demonstration of the triune God demonstrating himself uh, in the baptism of Jesus we see God the father right proclaiming from heaven uh, the the love for his son in whom he is well pleased as the spirit of God is descending upon him um, upon Jesus in the form of a dove coming upon Jesus and we see Jesus in the waters of baptism fulfilling every point of the law of God God's standard and demonstrating and identifying himself. Jesus comes as the Messiah, the long-promised Messiah figure, the one that the Jews have been waiting, that the Old Testament prophets have, have proclaimed all throughout the Old Testament that would come to save his people. And Jesus has arrived as the Messiah figure. He is the one. And he identifies 
and comes and doesn't establish a kingdom and a castle with legions of angels all around him, although he had the power to do so. No, he comes and he identifies himself with mankind. And the problem that mankind has, and that is sin, moral violations that have kept man separated from his creator. Jesus comes and in his baptism identifies with with our problem and our inability to have a relationship with God because of our sin. And then he literally goes and identifies with sin as he goes out into the wilderness as we're following through Mark. For 40 days he's tempted just like us, but yet because he is the unique one, he is he is. God in the flesh, he is God from heaven who's come down, who's taken upon the form of a servant, the second person of our triune God, because he has come and taken upon flesh. Although he was 100% man, he was also, prior to taking upon flesh, always, eternally, 100% God. And unlike you and I, who were born in the first Adam and born with a sinful nature and dead in our trespasses and sin, the scriptures declare, Jesus was, was unique because he was God, 100% God and 100% flesh or man. And he was able, because he was uh, 100% God, the, the unique one from heaven, he was able to keep the law, to keep the standard that you and I demonstrate every moment that we are not able to keep. He did it on our behalf. Jesus arrives, tempted for 40 days, tempted by the devil, Yet without sin. This Messiah is the spotless Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world through His substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection. As Jesus enters into His ministry, He is on a mission, and His mission is to the cross where He will pay for the sin of all who will believe. He will take that penalty upon Himself. He will stand as the substitute for as I talked in the wedding yesterday, as in the, he stood as the substitute of his bride, which is his church. All those who hear this wonderful message of the gospel that Jesus has died for them have received that and believe that spiritually born again as they hear these words of the good news of Jesus, they are added to the church, his body. The church is a, not the walls of this building. The church are the people within this building who have heard and received Jesus as their Savior. That is the church. The church has manifested all throughout the world in all, all ages. Those who hear the gospel message of Jesus believe, receive, and are added to the church. That wonderful news that Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. He, he lived out that law perfectly. He was the righteous substitute that went, ultimately went to the cross on our behalf. And then we see him proclaiming the good news, right? He goes throughout all of Judea, or uh, Galilee, and, and um, the areas of Capernaum, and he proclaims the good news. He's, he's going and declaring this message in First Mark 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come. He's, he's going around proclaiming this message of the gospel. And he says, repent, Change your mind. 
Abandon hope and all else and believe the gospel. Believe the good news. That was his message. That was what he was desiring to do. And, and what's amazing about Jesus, right? There's anyone can say that they're from God. And anyone can say that if they believe on them, they can have a relationship with God. But, but Jesus then goes and demonstrates his authority in, over his creation by casting out demons and healing the sick. Again and again, various healings demonstrating his power over not only the physical creation, but the the spiritual darkness of the evil one. Demonstrating that he's not just talking the talk. He has the authority. He's walking the walk. And we see these religious leaders in Mark chapter 2, as people begin to follow him and come from all over the countryside, they're hearing of this, this Jesus who's healing and casting out demons. And so people are coming and crowding him. And they, you can't get even close to the guy because the word of mouth is spreading that this, this man can heal all various diseases. He can cast out me, all, the, all the demons. He, he has power. And these religious leaders, these people, these guys who were called by God to point God's people to the Messiah, instead of seeing Jesus for who he was, right, begin to to deny him and work against him. Their power and their prestige are being challenged. Their authority over the people, their own selfish pride was being challenged by Jesus. And so what do they do instead of pointing people to him? They begin to work against him, and as we've seen, desire to kill him. Take him off the scene, because he's turning the world upside down. I talked to, last time I preached about the ironies that are found in the Gospel of Mark. The greatest irony of all is that what God, what evil men intended to do evil with in killing Jesus, right? God, from the foundation of the world, Use that and the evilness of, of evil men for salvation by allowing him in the arms of evil men to go to the cross and pay the penalty for us. What man intends for good or for evil, God works out for good time and time again. His sovereignty is amazing. He appoints the 12 apostles in Mark chapter 3. And then we come to this verse 31, and we see uh, just before in verse 21, uh, Jesus' family, right? Mary and his brothers and sister, they hear about Jesus and all these people gathering around them. They're like, this, our brother or my son has lost his mind. All right? He says that, they say that in verse 21. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, he is out of his mind. His family comes to rescue Jesus. And I talked about that irony. They came to rescue Jesus, right? When Jesus actually came to rescue them. And verse 31 finds the setting of his mother and brothers arriving in this place where Jesus is at. And this is what we read. The concern of his family. His mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent the word to him and called him. And so they, his family came to, to help him, to rescue him, because of whatever was going on, that, that's, you know, he's making his, his family look bad, right? The Jewish family is, is, was everything. 
Their lineage, who their family was, their, their family name was everything. And so they, they were embarrassed and they were, they were concerned. And so they come to rescue him. But, but uh, um, and the crowds here in verse 32 asked Jesus to look to his family. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside asking for you. So we can see Jesus is crammed in the house. People are just pressing in. They can't get close enough to him, right? They know if they touch him, they know he has power. It's impossible to get to Jesus' family arrives on the scene. And they, they ask Jesus, whatever he's doing, he's teaching, healing. They ask Jesus to take his focus off of what he's doing and, and to look, hey, look, your family, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside asking for you. And what does Jesus do? He, he takes this moment and turns it into a teaching opportunity by responding with a question, right? That's, those are hard for me. I get, I get annoyed pretty quickly. When I ask a question, then the answer with a question, you're like, oh, you know, right? But Jesus is, uh, is taking this opportunity to, to, to respond by asking this question. He replied to them, who are my mother and my brothers? And Jesus takes, in the next couple of verses, takes the opportunity and teaches this concept of the spiritual family of God as opposed to the physical, temporal family of God that we're all born into. Good, bad, or indifferent. Adopted, not adopted. Everyone has a family story, a temporal family story. And the Jewish mind and the Jewish family was everything. Who your father was, was everything. You were often titled who, by the, who your father was. He's the son of, right, as a means of respect and adoration amongst the community. But Jesus instead takes this opportunity and teaches about this concept of the spiritual family of God. Verse 34, looking at those sitting in a circle around him. So the crowd asked Jesus to look towards his family, and Jesus instead starts looking at his disciples. Now you got to put your place, your, yourself there. You're sitting there. You hear someone from the back. Oh, it's the pulpit mic. Oh, man. I'm chained to my pulpit. I, used to, I like to walk around. Now I've got to stay put because of the mic. It's probably best so I don't spit on you guys. Typically, we don't have anybody in that front row there. so <laughs> they, They've learned not to be in the spitting range. So they, um, Jesus looks here and says, looking at those, he says, here's my, here, and so he takes this moment and he begins to talk about the spiritual family. He's looking at them and he, he you're, imagine sitting there and all of a sudden Jesus, instead of looking at his family outside, he looks at you. Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. And so I just want to take immediate application for us this morning. Because when I was going over this text and I was imagining myself being you and, and the questions that I've had as far as what this, what this in my own life, uh, this, this question, right? How do we apply this to our own life? The, the spiritual family of God, how can we know that we are part of the family of God? How can we become members of this spiritual family that is sitting in the inner circle around Jesus, essentially, is in a spiritual sense. I think it's a question for all of us, that all of us have pondered and asked at one time or another. 
instead of being isolated from God and isolated from Jesus, how can we gain access or spiritual access to the presence of God? How can we know that we are one of His? How can we know that we are the recipients of His precious promises that are found in Scripture, that are given to the family of God? How can we know that we can take those and know for a surety? How can we have confidence in the hope that is given to us in in God's word? The hope of an eternal life that's in the very presence of our creator for all of eternity. One thing I want to convey, if there's nothing else, this life and what we're doing right now, and as important as family is and I'm so grateful for my family and the love. Um, It's just amazing. But the one thing I am convinced of that it's not about just this life. It is about the life, the eternal life that is to come. Jesus came into his creation, took upon the form of a servant so that we might be saved, so that we might have this eternal life that is promised to us. He is on a rescue mission to save us from what we truly deserve. This is, we, we know what, what lies ahead of us. We, we, the, the book, God's inspired word, has a beginning. We have God's creation. We know who we are and where we came from and, our, and God's will and desire who our creator is and, and his rescue mission has been laid out for us. But we also know the end of the story in the book of Revelation. Jesus is coming again. He came in the first time as a baby, as a suffering servant, as someone who's uh, the spotless Lamb of God who's come to seek and to save those who are lost. And this time is now where, where all those who place their faith and trust in His accomplished work are given this promise of eternal life. But the book of Revelation declares it's not about just this, this time. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is going to, to rule and to reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is what's promised us for those of us who are in the family of God. This is at the very end of the book. If you're like me in school, you don't read most of the book, and then you, when it comes time for the test, you jump to the end and try to figure it out, and you know the ending. This is the ending. This is what lies before us. And then I heard a loud voice that says, John... Uh, in a vision on the island of Patmos. This is what God had given him to, to reveal to us. This is the hope that we have as, a, as people who follow Christ, as people of the book. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling place, or God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, this is Jesus. I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. 
That it is what is like, that is the hope that we have. This this promise that has been given to us for those who have placed their faith in Christ, have received his gift of salvation. That is what we await. Our hope is not found in this world and what this world has to offer. Our hope is found in the world that is to come, purchased by us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus answers in the next verse in Mark chapter 3, verse 35. Jesus answers the how. How do we become the fam- part of the family of God? So if that's your question this morning, I hope to uh, at least attempt to try to answer, your, answer that for you. Whoever does the will of God, he says. He looks at his disciples and he says, Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Now, when I started doing my study this week, um, I had to reduce it down quite a bit because the, the, the subject of the will of God is very vast and very complex. Depending on what context in the Old Testament or the New Testament, right? you can see God's will and perspective in different meanings and different contexts. But in the specific context, I just want to try to limit us to the context that we find today that Jesus is trying to demonstrate to his disciples and those around him, those are listening to him and and seeing him. He's trying to demonstrate to them this application of what it means to be part of the family of God, the spiritual family of God, as opposed to just the temporal physical family that everyone was so used to. He says... As he looks at them in the eye, whoever does the will of God is my brother, sister, and mother. We all went rafting this week as a family. Jake, Johnny, and Sam, we were all riding in my car back to the place where we rented the boats. And we we had this great conversation about um, things of God. And just they were asking me questions and going back and forth. And it was just a, a great time to be able to talk with them. But we were talking about, ultimately, I was speaking about, ultimately, we gotta, we got to follow God's will. And that's where we find the most joy in life and, and uh, find perspective and meaning and purpose in life is to find God's will. And, and so they were asking, well, what does that mean? And ultimately, I, I, I think I said, but I, I've been pondering it since we talked about it. The, the most basic definition of doing God's will is surrendering to God and His will as opposed to our own will and doing our own will. And again, I'm limiting this. And there's probably a better way of doing it, but I found this passage of Scripture, it was reminded of this passage of Scripture that compares and contrasts this idea of doing God's will, like Jesus said, if you want to be a part of the spiritual family of God, do God's will, versus doing your own will. And I think this is contrasted uh, very well here in John chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. This is... John recording about Jesus coming into the world. He was the light of the world. In verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. We don't have to look very far outside the walls of this church and turn on the news to see the vast amount of darkness and evil that surrounds us in this world. It is the light of God that can shine into the darkness. It is only the light of God. And Jesus is the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus, he was in the world. He came. The Messiah, the long-promised one, had come. He was in the world, and the world was created through him. 
God in the flesh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were created by Him. Not anything made that was made was not made without Him. He was in the world, and the world was created through Him, and yet the world did not recognize Him. These religious leaders who had all the degrees and all the long phylacteries and, and were looked to as the people of God and the scribes, the authorities, rejected Him. He came into his own. Jesus came for his people. And his own people did not receive him. Because they did not want to surrender their will ultimately to him. Contrast that with verse 12. But to all who did receive him. All. Every tribe, nation, and tongue. To all who did receive him. Receiving means hearing the gospel message. Hearing his what he, who, he's, who he is and what he's come to do. You receive that as truth. As a, it's a truth claim. And for those who receive Jesus as God's means for reconciliation and adoption into his family to be rescued from your sin and, a, a, and added and adopted into God's family by receiving him and that gospel message, that is how one becomes a part of the family of God. But to all who did receive him, he gave him, them the right to be children of God. To become part of God's family. Is to receive Jesus. And what he's done for you. And how do you receive him? You not only hear it as information. You not only say, oh, Jesus was a good teacher. I'll add him to my list. No, you believe. That's what the scriptures say. To those who believe in his name. It is all about Jesus and nothing else. I have nothing, we have nothing to boast in save the Lord Jesus Christ and his accomplished work. All of my righteousness is like filthy rags in the eyes of a holy God. I depend truly and wholly on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness alone because that is what scripture declares how I can become part of the family of God. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin so that not only did he take our sin and the consequences of our sin upon himself on that cross as the wrath of God was poured upon him some 2,000 years ago, but the scriptures declare he then turns around and gives, him his, gives us his righteousness. We are viewed as righteous in the eyes of a holy God because Jesus paid our penalty and God now sees us in the righteousness of Jesus. It's nothing to boast in. I have nothing to offer him. That's why we call it, or the scriptures declare it, grace. It's unmerited. It's a gift given to us. If you only receive this good news of Jesus and believe in his name. And this is the will of God, as verse 13 goes on to say, who were born. This born, being born again, born, born spiritually, born into the family of God, who were born not of natural descent, right? The Jewish people relied on their natural descent and their relationship to Abraham and to the patriarchs and to the fathers. And we know the New Testament, as God revealed, it's not about your heritage or your family, your temporal family. It's about that or the will of the flesh, right? We can't earn it. We can't do enough to earn God's righteousness or the will of man. It's not found in religion, 
It's not found in a system of things you have to do. No, the will of God, those who do the will of God, receive and believe on upon Jesus and believe upon his name because that is God's will for us. God willed it in our lives. That's God's desire, his prescriptive will for us is to be saved from our sin by receiving and believing upon Jesus. It is at work and a supernatural work of the Spirit of God in our lives. As the gospel message is proclaimed, I'm not here to try to convince you. I'm praying that the Spirit of God will convict you of your need to receive and believe upon Jesus. Because it is the will of God that we're born, not our own will. We must surrender to the will of God and not our own. And I do want to close with these concluding remarks Um, In Matthew, Jesus is teaching about this again in Matthew chapter 10. And it's something that we should all consider. We need to consider the cost. Consider the cost of following after Christ. Because oftentimes, following Christ comes with a temporal cost. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this, The one who loves a father or a mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Consider the cost of following Jesus. The scriptures, the book of Hebrews, um, uh, Jude, there's, other, there's scriptures and uh, church history is full of people who, who have believed and received upon Jesus and because of that, their family has disowned them. They've walked away from their family traditions, their family religion, and they say in the Jewish traditions, you're dead to me. You've walked away from the faith of the family. You're no longer my son. In, in the Muslim world, to follow after Jesus and abandon their beliefs and practices is a, is a, is a sure order to be cut from the family and be treated as you don't exist. There is a cost the scripture doesn't say that we, we need to abandon our, our temporal family. No, we, as we look at scripture, we see right Jesus' mother Mary come to be a disciple and a follower. We see two of his brothers who we know for a fact are, are followers and disciples of Jesus. So Jesus didn't abandon their temporal family. But there might be a cost to follow Jesus. You might be thought of as strange and out of your mind just as Jesus' family did to them. Or worse, You might lose your status in your company because you're now a crazy Jesus freak. And I know of those who have lost their lives because they've turned from following false gods to follow after Jesus. Count the cost of following Jesus. He goes on in verse 38, And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. There is a cost to follow Jesus. Because you're no longer living for your will. But you're living for the will of God. You're living for his glory and his purposes and salvation. And he's saying, we know, right, the gospel account says that Jesus, after he was beaten and whipped and scourged, He was forced to take upon his cross and carry it to the hill of Golgotha. 
He was forced to take the death instrument to where he was going to ultimately pay for, for our sin, for your sin and mine. And Jesus says, whoever doesn't take up his cross, die to self, die to your own desires, and instead live for God. Live for God's will in your life. And follow me is not worthy of me. And this is a refreshing promise for all those who, who, who follow after the will of God. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. So if you're living for your will and your life in this life, temporal life now, will ultimately lose it, he says. But this is the promise for us who walk in faith and desire to live our life according to God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Eternal life, adoption into the family of God, is, can be yours. So the question in our, our closing question this morning as we close is a question that I have to ask myself on a daily basis. And if you're a Christian, I know this is a question you've asked as well many times in your life. If, if you don't know Jesus in that saving way, this question is in the means of salvation for you to do God's will. Is it going to be your will be done or is it going to be God's will to be done? This is what awaits us in Revelation. This is what is coming. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves and the tree are for healing of the nations. And there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in this city. And his servants will worship him. And they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will need no light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. This is a picture of what it means to be a part of the family of God. If you will receive and believe his gracious gift of salvation. If you surrender your will and walk in God's will for you in Christ. This is the hope. This is the promise given to you by your creator. I pray that you will deal with him in that regard let's pray father we're thankful for this opportunity to be able to be reminded of the great salvation that you've given us to be reminded of that spiritual um, uh, family that you've allowed for us to be adopted into through god's uh, through christ's precious work of salvation god i am so grateful that you've made a way for us to be able to be reconciled to you and justified to you and be seen as righteous in spite of us and in spite of our inability to do it in ourselves. You've, you've made a way through the righteousness of Christ. And so we give you praise this morning. We thank you for it. God, I ask that your spirit would, would just do a work with those who have not encountered you in that way, that they might, if they have any questions, Father, that they, they would seek you and that your spirit would guide them to all truth father we're thankful for this day help us to be the light help us to walk 
in your will. Help us to abandon hope in our own will. Help us to glorify you as we live out and try to be the light and the salt in this dark and evil world. God, we can't wait for Jesus to come. We're so grateful for him.